I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Kings tonight. And we're looking at a very familiar passage, chapter 4. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter in God's Word. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, turn with us, please. <clears throat> I want to preach from this passage. I want to read the verse out of the Psalms, if you want to go there also. That's Psalm 81. And then I want to read about three verses out of 2 Kings 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Psalm 81, there's one verse that we would want to call our attention to. But our attention primarily tonight is focused on 2 Kings 4. In this pulpit some few years ago, I, I preached from Psalm 81, but I, I read from 2 Kings 4 and just made a comment or two and referred to it. But we primarily spend our time in this text in Psalm 81. I, I want to reverse that tonight. I'm not preaching this message out of Psalm 81, but uh, I think we'll have occasion a little later to call our attention to this. It's a little metaphor here, a little figure of speech. And then I want us to read and look in chapter 3, 2 Kings. I was in a meeting a while back, and they was... There's a school connected to that uh, church, a, a preacher school. And a number of those students was all around the front. And I, I, I turned to three or four places to take a text before getting to the scripture we was going to try to give an exposition of. And I heard one of those young boys sit right there on the front and say to his buddy, he said, surely Brother Hurd will find a sermon in one of them places tonight. <laughs> Well, I trust we shall, so let's uh, look at Psalm number 81. God's talking to His people. He's urging His people. He's, he's admonishing His people. And uh, the background, and if we'd read verses following this, I think you even see it here, but God's people, they, they really needed God to come through for them. And He wanted to. And he's inviting them to do something that would create a condition for God to respond to. He reminds them in verse 10, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Looking back to that experience, that'd be equivalent of us looking back to our conversion. Looking back to when God redeemed us. So he's reminding them. He said, let me tell you who I am. Mind you what I've done for you. And uh, with that reminder, he says this to them, open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it. But it's rather sad what he says after that. He said, but my people would not hearken to my voice. That is, in the sense of what he's admonished them to do. They, they said, no, he said, Israel would none of me. They didn't want to hear that. He said, so. I gave them up to their own heart's lust. They walked in their own counsels. And then feel his heart when he said, oh, that my people had hearkened unto me. And Israel had walked in my ways. He then begins to tell what he'd done for them. He said, I should soon have subdued their enemies. God said, why well, have done it quickly for them. 
I'd have turned my hand against their adversaries. Well, he said, had they responded to what he's admonishing them to do, he said, I'd have fed them with the finest of the wheat. Not just the wheat, the finest of it. And with honey out of the rock. Should I have satisfied thee? He's saying, if you'd only responded to my admonition to you, and had you opened your mouth wide. If you, you students know the background, how God's people was devastated. How the enemies indeed uh, came and subdued them instead of God subduing their enemies. And yet God is saying, had they only listened, I want to make reference to that little expression here in a few minutes. In the third chapter of the book of 2 Kings, I have a series I preach sometime in the conference on the miracles of Elisha. I preach one of them out of that series two years ago when I was here, out of the sixth chapter. Two of them is in these chapters. and uh, Well, more than two. There's a couple in, in the fourth chapter. And we're looking at one of them tonight, but there is one that he's involved in here in the third chapter. And God's people, they, you're talking about a need. They have such a need. It's something so simple, but yet so necessary, they need. It's water. I mean, they're out of water. Their army, they, they, they've made a seven-day journey and here they are with all the animals with them and this massive army they have. A group of them have gotten together and they have no water. So they go to the man of God. And he responds in verse 16. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink both ye and your cattle and your bees. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord, he's saying. This, uh, he's going to go beyond that. And he said, he'll deliver the Moabites also into your hand. Make this valley full of ditches. Chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Would you stand with me now? Let's change our position here. Relax us for a moment. Goes back about 2,900 plus years. I'm reminded in Paul's writing that these Old Testament stories, as we're looking at tonight, they was given for our admonition, more literally for our instruction. It is a fact of history, but God didn't have this recorded just to tell us that this took place in Israel's history. God says, I want to instruct you tonight. I want you to learn in this New Testament church era. He said, I want you to learn. It's for your instruction. Why I have preserved, recorded and preserved these stories. We're told, there cried a certain woman of the wise of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying... Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? 
She said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save or except a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all of those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said to her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Thank you, and you may be seated. I want to take one of the two questions at this time that Elisha puts to this unnamed woman. And I want us to just sort of think about it. Elisha represents God to her. When she appeals to this man of God, in essence, she's appealing to God. She's crying out in the midst of her need to God when she cries to this man of God who represents God to her. And I repeat, he puts two questions to her, and the first one is this. He said, what shall I do for thee? Now, I want us to think about that tonight. I want us to think tonight, not as Elisha's asking this unnamed woman this question. I want us to take it as God's Word that's been recorded and preserved for us. This question put to us this evening, and let's just sort of, as I said a moment ago, of course it is God's Word and this prophet representing God to this woman. Let's take the question as God asking us in this audience this evening. And I want to, if you'll permit me, and I won't injure the text of it, and it's not really changing it any other than just rewording it a little bit. But I want to put the question like this to our hearts, and I'm including my own needy heart. And the question is this, is what can God do for you? What can God do for you? Now, don't miss what I'm asking. I'm not asking what can God do. You wouldn't ask a uh, biblically intelligent audience, as this audience is, a question like that. That'd not be necessary. God, being who He is, and talking to people that understand that somewhat, you, you know, I, I repeat, that'd be beside the point. I wouldn't ask the question, what can God do? But the question is this. What can God do for you? What can He do for me tonight? Now, I said that in another meeting, in another state, and someone wanted to speak to me about it after the meeting, and, and, and he said, Brother Hurt, are you aware that your question implies that a human being could limit a holy God? And I said, well, I didn't intend just to imply it. I meant to make it, you know, to state it clearly. I mean, you know, I, I hope it's just not an implication tonight. But say with me. And I won't go. I won't get sidetracked. I, and you know, he, he was he, he was open. He wasn't he wasn't being ugly. wasn't any argument. 
That he's a whole lot bigger than me, and I wouldn't argue with him anyway. <laughs> but I asked him a question, and he pondered, and he thought about it. I said, what do you do with the, the, the text in the Psalms where you've limited, talking to God's ancient people, you've limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him because he permitted himself to be limited. So what do you do with the scripture where that when our Lord, God in flesh, when he was here ministering, where he couldn't do many mighty works at one place. Why? It wasn't because, you know, his inability. It was because of their unbelief. And he said, well, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, he said, well, you know, he said, I guess I'm emphasizing the, the sovereignty of God. He said, I believe that. I said, I do too. And thank God he's sovereign. Thank God he's in total control tonight. I believe that God is so sovereign in his sovereignty, he's made you and me and given us a a free will tonight. That's how sovereign I believe he is. And let's us say no to him. Well, that doesn't threaten God. God's not threatened. He's not afraid somebody's going to kick him off his throne. He's in control tonight. But when it comes to you and me as his people, getting in on his blessings, Listen carefully. To a large degree, we set the limit what God can do in our lives. Notice again. I mean, here in this wonderful, simple, but yet such profound truth in it, this little story way back there, she's taken all of those vessels. I don't know how many, but he emphasized the man of God. He, he said to her, don't go to all your neighbors, not just your next door neighbor. Go out and get to all your neighbors. Don't get just a few. He said, borrow not a few of them. And she took that one little pot and she poured and poured. And, and finally, she said to that boy who brought him, was bringing them to her, said, another vessel. And you know what he said? There is not a vessel more. Look at verse 6. And the last line says, the oil... Stay. The oil stopped flowing. Now listen, the oil did not stop flowing until the vessels were filled. As long as there was capacity for the oil, it was still flowing. Now listen, what can God do for you tonight? How much room do you have for God? How hungry are you for God? I mean, you want what God's got for you? Are we satisfied tonight? Or are we hungry as we said last night? Do we still believe God can do exceedingly abundantly above? Oh, listen. I believe God's got something here for us tonight. I, I, know, I know He's spoken to my needy heart. And I want us just to take this. We know little about her. We don't know her name. We don't know her age. We don't know her boy's names. We don't know her deceased husband's name. We just know that she was married to this young, young prophet, sons of the prophet. Her husband belonged to that group. He's died. Apparently a young man left these two young boys. And because of the indebtedness, I mean, here's a, here's a broken-hearted young widow. And you're talking about a desperate situation. And she knows it. And out of that situation... God does exceedingly abundantly above and has it for you and me tonight. He says, I want you to learn from it. I want us to just tonight, there's three, three things I want to call to our attention. Let me just mention to you sometime I get 
sidetracked and preaching and uh, I got in the habit of doing this and I was a pastor. Our tapes was mailed out around over the country and some different people would get our Sunday sermons and, and Sunday morning, Sunday night would be on a cassette tape. And I got a note from a, a preacher. I don't know him. I don't know his name. He, they, 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 the tape room told me his name. But I, I never met him. To my knowledge, he, he pastored church in, in Pennsylvania. And he wrote a note, and the brother took care of those things for us. He said, uh, he said, Pastor, you might ought to, you, you probably want to see this note. And, I, and uh, I, he had it there, and he's reading it to me. And he, he was kind to me. He said, Brother Hurt, God lets me use your sermons. I, he said, I approach a text like you do. And he said, I, I, I use your outlines. He said, almost every week. I, I, the, the week after you preach it, I preach your outline. <laughs> and he said, uh, but I got a problem. He said, you'll start a sermon, and, and oftentimes you'll say, now there's five things I want you to see about this, or four things, or three things. And he said, I, I, even when I'm listening, I, I make a note. I put your topic down, I say five things. <laughs> but he said, I have an incomplete outline. The tape runs out before you get on. And he said, I, I don't know what them last two points are. <laughs> and he said, I have a request. W would you give your outline before you preach your sermon? And I got up the next time I preached. I, I didn't call his name, of course, but I said, I got a note. He'll recognize. And a pastor was kind to me and said that he, God lets him use some things that I say. And, and, and But uh, he said, uh, I have a long sermon and we have a short tape. So I started giving the outline. Let me do, you that, do that tonight. They're just three simple words I want us to bring into focus what I feel the Lord wants us to talk about. First, I, I want us the problem she faced. The problem she faced. And then uh, I want us to just briefly look at what I'm calling the prescription she followed. The word prescription, of course, it's uh, the word prescription. It, uh, it's an authoritative direction, is the, and that's how I'm using it here. Doctor writes you a prescription. There's authority behind that. He gives authoritative direction. You can go to the pharmacist and he honors that for you. Well, here's some authoritative direction being given to this woman. And uh, she quickly responds to it. No hesitation, apparently. So it, it, it speaks to me. It's an example for me. It's a challenge to me tonight as I think about the problem that she faces and the prescription she follows and then... We'll just note the provision she finds here. And what an adequate provision she discovered. What is the problem God wants you to face tonight? What is the problem He wants me to face tonight? Perhaps not the problem, of course, she is facing. See, there's a death in her family. Oh, what a problem that poses. And the death in her family, it had caused a debt in her finances, and the debt in her finances was actually causing much darkness in her future. Her future's not bright. And she's disturbed over that. She looks at those boys. There's a creditor about to confiscate those boys. Someone said to me one day, preaching on that, said, man, he must have been a heartless fellow. I said, well, perhaps, but he wasn't illegal. It was a law in the land in that day that he, 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 actually he was on lawful ground when he's doing that. Oh, granted, he may not have, he may be cold as a stone in his heart. He may have no compassion at all for that dear woman. But 
You couldn't, have, you couldn't have accused him that he's illegal, no, because of the law of the land of that day. He could actually confiscate those boys and make slaves out of them. And that's what this woman is facing. And I emphasize the problem she faced. She's not running from it. She's not rebelling against it. And evidently she's not resenting the problem. In fact, she talks openly and freely to the man of God. And she talks with a note of the right kind of pride in her voice about her deceased husband. Before she said, he's my husband, she said, he's your servant. And you knew my, my husband, you knew your servant. He feared the Lord. She didn't have to be embarrassed publicly to talk to this prophet about her deceased husband. But she said, i got a problem. And the creditor's on his way. And my children's in trouble. And here she is, this broken-hearted young mother, crying to God. You raise a question. What can God do for you tonight? Did you face your problem? Don't, don't try to run from it. It won't go away. Don't put yourself in denial and say it doesn't exist. That doesn't help matters. Just look it square in the face. Don't become resentful because of it and get bitter and, oh, you, you're just digging a deeper hole you're falling in. So here's, a, here's this woman. She faces this problem. said she cried. She faces the problem fervently. See, it really mattered to her. She's not out there half-hearted. I mean, here's a mother. Uh, let me repeat this situation. Her boy's in trouble. I mean, it's, she fervently cries to him, uh, uh, approaches him here and, and faces her problem. But she not only does it that way, she does it rather frankly. It wasn't easy to talk about, you know, man, I'm losing these boys. I don't have a thing. I have a need I can't meet. Oh, she, she not only fervently cries out of her heart, but she just frankly states it and fully faces this problem. She can't cover any of it up. We have a tendency a lot of time to hedge and, and you know, just sort of halfway talk about something, especially if it puts us in a bad light. Our ego won't let us just tell the truth. And even though God knows, as I said last night, when David just came clean with God, that's where God met him. So here's a woman on the pages of this infallible book way back there, nearly 3,000 years ago, saying to us tonight, if you find yourself in a problem that's overwhelming you, don't run from it, don't resent it, don't get in rebellion against it. Just face it. Well, she faced her problem. But then she followed what I'm calling this prophet's prescription. He, he gives them a, a directive for her. He orders something. Now, you know, if the doctor writes a prescription, it, it's not going to do us any good if we, you know, pitch it aside. I, I, I started to say, uh, we've had a doctor, I started to say, about all my life, I guess. <laughs> Seems like that anyway. But for years, he, he, he kind of doctor that, you know, I, he just invites me in, says, sit down, I Talk to, uh, talk to the preacher, the other doctor, even more so, was a couple of doctors that we see. One of them, I was his pastor all through his training, and, and he, he's our doctor now, and has been for a number of years since he's out of school and into his practice. But this other doctor, he's senior to this younger doctor, and, and, uh, and he's a friend, and he's so open with us. I see him some time ago, and he said, uh, he, he'll give, I don't know, he treats all of his patients that way, but he'll, he'll say to me, he'll say, he'll say preacher, 
uh, after diagnosing, looking at what the nurses, you know, reports they've given him, and he said, "This is uh, this is what I this is what I suggest." Then he'll say, "What do you think about it?" <laughs> I feel like saying, I, "I'm writing you the check." Amen. <laughs> but he told me something. He said, I, "I'm going to give you this." He said, "I want you to go by the drugstore and pick this up." And he said, uh, uh, "He said you need this. And I want you to take it with you." And he said. Uh, they said, and that's when he asked me, what do you think about it? He's a prescription I'm talking about here. He said, what do you think about it? And I said, well, i got a question. He said, yeah. I said, will it do me any good? <laughs> and he shot back at me and said, yeah, if you'll take it. <laughs> See, my wife sees him too. And she knew the last time he gave me something, I, I, I was in Birmingham preaching down there a couple of weeks, and, and, uh, and uh, I had to call home. I said to her, hey. She said, hey, I don't know what you're going to do. You run off and left your medicine. <laughs> I said, would you call the doctor and tell him I'm in Birmingham and, and, and get in this drugstore and here's the number and, tell, and just see if he'll call and get me some more. That's what he was talking about. He said, hey, he said, put that in your pocket. Don't you leave town without it. It's going to help you. You go to Alabama and leave your medicine at home. Well, I wonder tonight. Here's some, a prescription that this woman followed. As I said a moment ago, that there's no apparently no hesitation. What he says to her, she could have responded and said, man, you're going to make me look like a fool. That's ridiculous. I don't make sense. You're going to, you, 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 you're going to cause my boys to be the laughing stock of the community. Send them out here in this community. Tell all of these neighbors we need some vessels, empty vessels. And we got this one little pot of oil. You students aware of this? The, the word for pot there, it comes from a verb that only used one time is this, is this particular ver verb, and it's associated with anointing. So it was not a big pot of cooking oil. The idea of that pot, uh, the, the, the word that's used that's associated with anointing, it signifies the pot was a little flask. It was a little flask of oil. And, and this deceased husband of hers, no doubt, had used that oil in his ministry. And when he asked her a question, what do you have in the house? Not a thing. She liquidated apparently every piece of furniture, all of the furnishing, trying to meet her own need. And she said, there's nothing. Oh, save except that little pot of oil. And that's all she needed. And he said, go out in the neighborhood. I repeat, not just your next door neighbor. I'm talking about what can God do for you. How many vessels can you get tonight? How much capacity do you have for God? I wonder if the vessel's already full of something else, or do we have any room for God tonight? Wonder how wide we'll open our mouths tonight. Wonder how many ditches we'll, we'll prepare for the water to fill tonight. Not one ditch, but plural. Make that valley full of ditches. You need a whole lot of water. And they only got as much water as they prepared the trenches, we'd call them, the ditches for them. She only got as much oil as they got vessels to hold. That was a bird nest back over there in Psalms that he was alluding to. And, and, and in that bird nest is little hungry birds. And, and the little bird that's the hungriest would identify his hunger by opening his mouth wide. And he always got the, he always got more than the others. How hungry are you for God tonight? How badly do you want God to do something tonight? Any room for God in our life tonight? Are we already so full of everything else? There's not much room left for God. Well, here's a mother. I've already said it really mattered to her. 
She cried. She, she faced it fervently, frankly, fully, as she faced her problem. And when he gave her this directive, when he, when he, when he prescribed uh, for her this prescription, she just followed it. There's three ingredients in it. First ingredient, I identify them with one word. It's the word ex examination. God so often gets us in a place to where we're forced to examine ourselves. He permits that. If He doesn't cause it, He'll permit situations to come to where we absolutely have to take inventory. And when we do that and call it by its right name, just be honest. I was reading today and the verse jumped off at me. In fact, I thought about it. The first verse that I've marked in my Bible for many years. You could go to my study tonight and on the shelves, I've got all the copies of the Scriptures that I've used in, in, in over 40 years of ministry. And I, 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 I don't say this to my credit, but I'm hard on a copy of the Scriptures. I'm always usually just twisting and bending and, and spitting and slobbering and don't take long, you wear it out. And I have a whole shelf of Bibles, and there's one place. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11 and verse number 6. Jesus is telling them how to get the warm bread of heaven to feed hungry souls. He, he, he summarizes it. He concludes it by saying he is talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. How much more the Father give the Spirit to them that ask. And the tense of the verb there is ask and keep on asking and ask. It's not a one-time thing. It's every time you need. Ask Him again and again. You know what that verse is? This, he has the man knocking on his friend's door and said, I'm on a journey and I'm hungry. And that man is responsible to feed his hungry friend. And he leaves the hungry fellow there and goes down the street and knocks on another friend's door. And you know what he said? There's a friend of mine at my place and here it is. I have nothing to set before him. You've heard me talk about a man that was my mentor. Oh, how God used him to help me. He was in the church. He was not the pastor. He was, he was retired. You've heard me say he, he knew men that I read about. He gave, he's a person who started giving me books and talking to me about the men of God. He's a personal friend of, of Dr. A.W. Tozer. They'd served together. Years prior to Tozer's going home, he pastored in his latter life up in Chicago, but he used to pastor in our city in Indianapolis. He knew Dr. Harry Ironside. They were very close. He knew the, the missionary statesman Oswald Smith, Dr. Smith. They were very close friends and ministered together, lots he put it. He turned there and he said to me, in fact, he's around the church there, and he, he talked to me, and I, I, you know, I got acquainted with him. My wife and I, we just got in, and I don't want to speak disrespectfully of the other preacher, but this retired pastor would preach about at least once a month. My wife said to me, she said, well, I, I like that she named the other pastor. She said, I, I, I get help and I like him. But she said, have you noticed? And she mentioned this preacher, and this man, he's way up years. Have you noticed when he preached? Oh, said he, boy, she said, you don't dare get a little, little sleep. She said, he keeps you on the edge of your seat. said, he never lifts his voice, Harley. said, he just speaks with a, well, you know, a soft voice. But she said, wait, my wife, she said, what a is in his voice. said to me out there one morning, he, he had said to me over at church, he said, uh, I understand you work at the Army Base. And I said, yeah. 
the time you leave there, I said 6 a.m. or rather 5.30, I passed your place a little bit before 6 a.m. He said, I, and I, he had already told me where he lived. He said, I'm, I'm just three or four blocks off the post road you come down and come into your place. He said, how about stopping by in the morning and just look up the place? I said, well, that's early. He said, no, I'm not too early. He said, I get up early. He said, I'd like to be your mentor. He said, would you permit that? I jokingly say I went home, got the dictionary, and looked in on it. Make sure he wasn't going to hurt me. Amen. <laughs> but I think that was his subtle, perhaps not so subtle way of saying, boy, this fellow, and I'd already announced my call to preach. And, and I think he said, man, this fellow really needs some help. Amen. <laughs> Somebody better try to help him a little. Wild as I could be, you know, just, and I don't apologize for that. Full of zeal. I need a little more sense. Still do, but I, you know, danger sometimes was full of zeal and no sense, so I think that's what he's trying to help me. But one of the first things he said, he, he went to that scripture. He said, God wants you to be a means of a channel that you can take the warm bread to hungry souls. He said, you're just a, you're just a servant. He was from a background that they'd always say, we don't emphasize the servant. We don't magnify the messenger above his message. He, he's from that background. But he said, listen, he said, if you're going to take the warm bread, you're going to have to be aware that you don't have it. He said, it's difficult because he said that there may come a time when you learn how to do a few things, but you want to lean on that. And it'd be hard. I'm talking about how God forces us to take an examination. See, God, God's man, God speaking to him, put her on the spot. Said, let me ask you a question. After he said, tell me, what can I do for you? The second question is this. What do you have in the house? Well, you know, for her to say this is an empty house. We don't have a thing. Oh, it's difficult. It's difficult for some for some of us to, to our best friend. Just acknowledge we don't have it. Just acknowledge we're empty. I mean, there's something about us proud humans, our self-sufficiency, our ego. We like to sort of hedge and, you know, just admit we got a little need. But, see, God knows. I had a brother to call me. I was in, where was I at? I was in southern Missouri, I guess it was just south part of the state. I was near Poplar Bluff, Missouri. So you know where that's at, preaching in that area. And he called, and he said, Brother Hurd, I, I really need to talk to you. God has laid you on my heart. He said, my wife and I are going to come. He said, I uh, talked to the pastor. He's given us directions, and he gave me the number for your motel. He said, I can get there about church time. He's driving from three states. And he said, could you please? He said, can you, can you talk to me? He said, I might get there for church. And I said, no, I, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't visit for church. I said, I'll be glad to after church. But I said, if it's going to be getting up two or three hours for church, I don't visit before that, at that time. And I said, I'll be glad to help you if I can. And, and he came. I said, come on to the service. Get you a room. He and his wife got a room in, in the motel that I was in. And I said to him, after the service, I, I, I knew him, but I didn't know him well. I'd met him in a you know, uh, in the area where he lived. And, and uh, he said, I, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you alone. He said, can I come to your room? I said, they got a conference room. I'll, I'll check at the door, make sure that's available. I'll get the key for that conference room. And, and, and I said, we're going to that conference room. And we did. I thought of that this afternoon. He started telling me the story. But what he didn't know that I already knew about it somewhat detail. 
And he said, Brother Hurt, God has, has led me to come here and ask you to pray. Pray personally. Let's, and he said, I, I just believe God's going to do something for me. He said, I believe He's going to use you to pray for me. And he said, I want to tell you my situation. And I don't say this to be unkind toward the man because I, I've preached meetings for him since then. This goes back to you. He's my friend. And he told me a story. I'm talking about taking inventory. Being honest about it. Telling the whole story. Well, he told me. And he said, Brother Hurt, would you, would, would you, would you just, could we get down here? Would you cry for God for me? Just ask God to please. Well, I'm like you, I'm sure. Since I knew something, it was a little bit difficult for me to let him know that I know he's not being open and honest with me. And he didn't know that. He had no, he, cause he wasn't aware that I knew about that situation that he, he's putting someone else all in, in, in the blame and, and sparing himself. And, and if he'd have told the truth, it'd put him in a bad life. And, uh, God just checked me. He put a restraint in my, I, I just thought about, well, I'll just pray and leave it between him and the Lord. And God put a restraint in my spirit, even a rebuke in my heart. God said, not only, but God said to me, now listen, I, I, I put it on your heart to come over here. And I already know that you know something about it. Why don't you tell him that? And I said to him, you, you told me you had confidence in me. And you was kind to me. You called me a man of God. I never refer to myself as a man of God. I never find anybody in the Bible ever find, referring to themselves as a man of God. They always let other people do that. But he was kind to me and, and told me how he respected me and how God had used me when he heard me preach and he had got some tapes from us and, and said, listen to sermons on prayer. I just feel like that God will use you, Brother Hurt, to help me. And I said, uh, well, you told me this, but let me, just, let me just say this to you. I said, have you told me the whole story? And he started looking me in the eye and he couldn't. I said, brother, I'm going to ask God on the basis of what you've told me, and I'm going to say to God here that you, what you've said is truth. I said, is that right? And it broke. He said, no. No, brother Hurt, he started weeping. He said, wait a minute, this is why God wants me to come over here. God's trying to get me broken, and I know it. He's been in his work. He's been trying to hem me up and he got me tonight, he said. And he just, I mean, he got down there and he cried out to God. Put himself in a bad light. You know, he didn't confess anything to me. I knew something about it. He started telling God how that he was blamed, excused. He said, Lord, my ego, my pride. I've been embarrassed. I've been afraid somebody's going to find out I have failed. And his prayer said, Lord, I didn't even want to give appearance to my friend, Brother Hurt, that I'm a failure, but said, God, you who know everything, you know what a failure I am. And he just started weeping before God. Could I tell you that night he was presenting some vessels for God to fill? My, how God started you. He went back home and put himself in a bad light and got up and told some people. I've been blaming, excusing. God intervened, did exceedingly abundantly for him. 
He said to me more than once. It was even affecting his, the relationship between his dear wife. I could tell when I preached that night, she looked so empty and depressed as she could be. When I preached for him the next time, I mean, her countenance was beaming with the glory of God. He's jumping up and down shouting the victory. But over there in that conference room in that motel in southern Missouri, he just faced the first ingredient on this prescription examination. I don't need to labor these other two. There's preparation. And I've already said we ought to prepare and prepare largely. Dig a lot of ditches. Open our mouth wide. Get a whole lot of vessels. You say, how would you do that? Well, that, uh, that, uh, that equals out to faith. Jesus would say, according to your faith be it unto you. Without faith it's impossible to please God. I mean, see, faith and prayer is two sides of the same coin. As long as you're believing, you'll keep on praying. You can gauge your faith by looking at your prayer life. Jesus gave that mighty parable about perseverance in prayer and then raised the question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith? Leave it in its context. He's not asking about saving faith. He Literally, there's a definite article there. He said, this kind of faith. Kind of faith that that widow in, in, in Luke 18 wouldn't take no for an answer. She just kept on and kept on. And Jesus was saying, that's faith. Perseverance in prayer is an expression of your faith. What's our prayer life like tonight? I mean, that's going to tell us whether or not we're going to get the vessels full. So there was examination. There's preparation. There's cooperation. Man, this, this, this to me just... See, he told her, he said, now, I want you to get those vessels. But I don't want this to take place out on the front porch. You're not to do this out in public where, where a gawking community can make fun of it and ridicule it. Let me say something, and I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Most of God's greatest blessings is not done on a public stage somewhere around over the country. It's done in a closet somewhere. Not held up to where some personality can parade around and take glory for. Call attention to the messenger and the miracle and the message is missed oftentimes. Now, I'm not a smart and I don't mean to be ugly, but are you listening? I believe this with all of my heart. Jesus would say to his disciples in the midst of people that were showy and those Pharisees like to pray on public and call attention. He said to his own, don't you be like them. You make sure most of your praying somewhere in, in the closet, in secret. And your father who is in secret, he's anticipating you meeting him there. He's in there waiting on you. And when you go in there and meet him, he'll bless you publicly. So he said to her, you just take those vessels, you and those boys, and you close your door. You go behind that door. Are you listening? Dr. R.G. Lee said something years ago. That I, I, I jotted it down. I've never forgotten it. And he was talking about how we like to show off. How we have to call attention to ourselves. He said something that really jarred and spoke to me. Listen, he's talking to us preachers, especially that night. He said, brethren, you can't show yourself clever and Jesus wonderful at the same time. Boy, that's, that, that hit home with me. He said, if you want to show a wonderful Lord, a wonderful Savior, you can't, as His messenger, get up and act clever and get people to think you're clever while you're doing it. Behind the door. 
Well, the problem she faced. Oh, how that speaks to me. How I need to face the problem, the prescription she followed. But thank God for the provision she found. I could go in detail. I don't need to. It was a gracious provision, of course, like us. She didn't deserve it. And that was an expression of God's grace and goodness to her. But also, it was a generous provision. My lifetime verse, when I've signed my name in the young people's Bible, and the kids want me to sign their, my name, has been Ephesians 3.20. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Some of you that's listened to me has heard me mention this. I may have mentioned this pulpit. I won't worry you with repetition. Listen carefully in closing. He's been a long-time friend. He comes to meetings, a number of meetings. I, I preach in his area, at least in a 40, 50-mile radius of where this brother lives. I, I, I preach, I was looking at my, my schedule the other day, I preach in at least 12 churches in that 40-mile uh, in in, in, in radius every year. I've been doing it for all my... I've been doing it for 30 years in some of those churches. I went when I was a pastor, three days a week. I went on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Our midweek was Thursday. And so I travel three days every week somewhere. So this brother, he, he's, been in, uh, he's been in these meetings. He comes to the meetings. Dear friend, I, I, I've seen him in recent weeks. He was in the service two nights in, in February where I was preaching in his area. But here's what he said. And he, when he heard me say, that's my verse, he, he stood up and testified. He said, Something happened. He was kind to me. Said God used Brother Hurt and said something to me and really got a hold of my heart through something he said. And he said, God, as he put it, he said, God came through for me. And he said, uh, he said, uh, he came through and he gets emotional coming back. He said he came through in a way that I, I could have never, ever dreamed that he'd do it. And he said, I've claimed that verse. He did exceedingly, abundantly, above. All that I asked or even thought of asking. He came one night and he was kneeling to my left. I'd preached, I'd talked about prayer, and I'd talked about in particular intercessory prayer. And, and uh, dealing with Abraham. How that Abraham, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out before the judgment fell. And I was dealing with some aspects of Abraham's prayer. Just entitled a sermon, Abraham will lead us in prayer. And we tried to learn from his prayer. First recorded intercessory prayer in the Bible. He came forward, and I'm back there at the door, and it's not a large congregation, probably 100 people there. And one of the men who had prayed with him said, Brother Hurt, he wants to speak to you. He's really, and he called his neighbor. He said he's really broken. So we went up, and we had a seat here. He said, Brother Hurt, I've never... I've never had God speak to me like he did tonight. He said, you said something before you prayed. I've never heard, a, never heard a preacher say before. He said, with our heads bowed, you ask us to say, Lord, I'm listening. And he said, before I realized it, I just sort of, he said, I did it audibly, just whispers to God. I said, Lord, I'm listening. Then you said, you, what you're doing, you're saying, Lord, speak to me. And he said, I said, Lord, please speak to me. And then he said, you said, now, you've invited God to speak to you if he does and you ignore him, that will insult him. And if he speaks to you in a way that you ought to respond, he said, you said it had been better had you not prayed that. If he speaks, and then you just insult him by ignoring him. And he said, God, this is word used, he said, God got through to me like I'm sure he's been needing to a long time. He said, you've been knowing me a while, Brother Hurt. 
And I've been embarrassed. You've never heard me say this. I, I don't tell him. He said, no, my pastor knows it, but I don't let any other preacher friends know it. He said, I got a boy in trouble. I got a boy that I'm ashamed of. I've got a boy that I've driven from home. I got a boy I've forbidden to come home. He's mean. On drugs, liquor. He said, uh, haven't seen him in over a year. But he said, while you was preaching tonight, he was talking about brokenness. Talking about Abraham's attitude, even talking to a holy God. Uh, he was bold, but you say not arrogant. He kept saying, oh, I'm dust and ashes. That, that's an expression of humility, of brokenness in a man's heart. He said, God said, in your self-righteousness, you're so concerned about your reputation, you're afraid somebody's going to find out that you've got, a, you've got a loved one in trouble and you're afraid what they'll think about you. He's telling me this. I don't put him down. He said, God was saying to him, you're so concerned about your reputation and somebody finding out you've got a child in trouble that you haven't even thought about his lostness. You haven't even thought about the bondage he's in. He said, God seemed to say, I care about him. Do you? He's down here weeping like you wouldn't believe. Now I don't have to put him down. He's heard me say that and he's asked me to tell him so. So we were there talking. He told me that. He said, Brother Hurt, God help me. I'm going to start these principles. I've never prayed like that. I've never, he said, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard prayer being taught like that. I've never known about persevering in prayer. I thought you'd just say a word and go on. I never knew anything about wait. I've even heard people say you, it's unbelief. You ever pray the same prayer more than once? And he said, But you were showing tonight. That that's an expression of your faith. Don't give up. You got a right to ask God one time. You got a right to keep asking until the answer comes. Here's what he said. He said, Brother Hurt, I'm an old man. This has been going on four years now. He said, I don't know how much longer I got to live, but he said, I'm going to try to meet God if he'll help me every day until he does something in that boy's life. He said, I'm an old man. I'm 80 years old. That shocked me. Now, he, I couldn't believe it. I said, Oh, you're not 80. <laughs> he said, Well, I guess I know my age, Brother Hurt. I, I'm 80 years old. I thought he was a young man, about 66. You'll get that in a minute, amen. <laughs> but now he's 84 now, working on it. Be 84 in public. And, and, and athletic guy, just always. I mean, he's an outdoorsman, hunts all the time, fishes all the time. Just, I mean, look at him. You would, you know, he is 84 year old. But God, here's what I'm telling you. That was in October. That boy called home about. Five weeks to be exact. That's your grandpa. I said, his boy, it's his grandson, really. He calls him his son because your boy has to live with him. But it's his grandson in reality. And that boy called home. He's, oh, he's, he's hundreds of miles from home. Grandpa didn't even know where he was at. And uh, he said, Grandpa, I need to talk to you. He said, please don't hang up on me. Please don't rebuke me. I, I really need to say something to you. And Grandpa said, no, sir, you're not going to say a thing to me till I say something to you. And the boy's telling me this, too. Grandpa said, what I need, to, I, this answer the prayer. I've been praying that God would cause you to call me. I need to ask you to forgive me. And Grandpa got broken when he said that. And the boy said, forgive you? He said, yeah, I haven't cared. I've been self-righteous. I've been mean. I've been full of self. I've never been broken. Oh, I've known the Lord, but said, I mean, I run my own life. And he said, a few weeks ago, God broke me. And he filled me with his love. And son, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. 
Now tell me what you want to tell me. And the boy told me this. He said, he said, Preacher, that tore me up so I couldn't even talk to him. I said, Grandpa, can I call you back in a little bit? Well, without going into detail, he came home. And he went to church with Grandpa. Grandpa told me, he said, since God was at work and getting a hold of him, I made up my mind I'm not going to put any pressure on him. I'm not going to entice or coach. I just want to go to church and sit down with him. And I said, Lord, you've started finishing him. Amen. First time they went to church. And I'll be in that church this, uh, this coming fall, the Lord willing. And the first time he went, he said, he told me, I said, man, I could tell God, his word was that God had his foot there. <laughs> and he said, we went back. The next time we went, said he looked over at me in the invitation. He said, Grandpa, if you want to, you can go with me. But if you don't, I'm going down there by myself. And here he went. <laughs> you can't believe what God did in that man. And I say, he's not a kid. I mean, he's a He's probably middle 30s. Uh, and Grandpa didn't call me. He, the next time I was in driving distance, he, he brought him with me. With him right now. He brought him over where I was preaching. And there's the boy's mother there beside of him. That's Grandpa's daughter. There's, uh, there's his wife that he's getting back with. A little boy there. And I looked out there and I, I, you know, I saw them all there together. And Grandpa, he just, you know, winking at me. sitting there in front of me. After service, I noticed. Well, a year or so after that, Grandpa said they called him a name. He said, Brother Hurd, he wants to he wants to say something personally to you. And after service, you know what he wanted to ask me? He said, Brother Hurd, how do you know you're called to preach? <laughs> God has laid his hand on that young man. And Grandpa stands up and says, God did exceedingly, abundantly. I said to him, brother, tell me. I said, uh, he said, I want to brag. Uh, you're not bragging. I'm asking you to. You know what he told me? He said, brother, hurt it wasn't one day. He starts weeping. I don't brag about it. He said, I never prayed like it in my life. I said, it wasn't one day that I didn't give God at least one hour in the morning. I'd go back in the evening and cry and stay a half hour and sometimes longer. He said, I did that every day. Oh, God. And he said, even before he called, I had assurance in my heart. God said, I'm going to do it for you. How much room do you have for God tonight? Would you stand with me, please? All over the room, as we stand for a moment with our heads bowed and hearts in just an attitude, the pastor will be here. That's my message tonight. God knows I've been talking to Wilbur Hurt this evening as well as whoever else God's speaking to. Now, I don't understand all that's involved in what I'm about to say. I know you can do business right where you're at, but there's something about coming forward. I don't understand that. I hear the good preacher and the dear pastor, Dr. Rogers, over in Memphis. I, I've heard him say through the years, Dr. Rogers would put it like this. He'd say there's just something about coming forward publicly. It sort of seals it. Shows that we mean business. Shows we're not ashamed. Shows that we say, Lord, you spoke and, and I'm going to respond. See, our ego keeps us from doing that a lot. We wonder what's people going to think about me being at the altar. And that person never gets in on what God's got. But what I'm talking about tonight is just saying, Lord, I heard, I, I, I acknowledge my need, and I'm just going to come do better. You may be a guest tonight. Here's plenty of room. No one will put you on the spot. Don't miss God tonight. God's talking to some of us in this room tonight. And God wants to do something exceedingly abundantly. He really does. But He talks, and if we ignore that's about as far as he can go with us. We don't get any vessels for God to pour himself into. 
Alexander McLaren, one of my favorite expositors of the Old Testament, Dr. McLaren says of that, as long as we keep bringing ourselves as a vessel that, a vessel that God can pour himself into, he'll keep on filling us up. Would you let God fill you tonight? Come on, God's talking to a whole lot of us. I sense that. Don't miss him tonight. Pastor's going to be here after I pray. Father, make it easy for us to say yes to you. Lord, we can look back on this night and say that was the night God did something. Lord, please work as we wait upon thee in the name that's above every name is our prayer. Amen.